Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. After a two-week hiatus, Graham McMillan and I are back for a deep discussion on what a comic book collection is truly worth, the life and times of a reporter on the run at NYCC, and the link between Swords of the Swashbucklers, Spawn, and Sex Criminals. It's two hours of talk about all that, plus Spider-Man, Star Slammers, Scooby-Doo, and other S-words of the Swashbucklers. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello there, it's been a while. It's it's seemingly forever. Seemingly forever. It's been the strangest few weeks without you, Jeff. (laughs) Likewise. Likewise. I imagine we have some stories to tell and catch up. uh, Well, well, you have some very important stories to tell. I don't don't, don't know what you're talking about. I I know something that the Watchmans don't know. (laughs) But I'm going to tell them now because it's genuinely something I want to talk about. Okay, this is where we're going to start with. Holy cow. Oh, All right, oh okay. it definitely is. All right. You've sold off your entire single-issue comp collection that since is, we stopped. That is, that is correct. And for those people who think that it's like, oh my god, what has he been doing in the last three weeks? I only sold it off back on uh, like three days ago. So Yeah, but, but I mean, whatnots, you don't know this, but Jeff and I have been talking about this for a while. Yeah. Like, you have, you have been, I don't know if... I don't know if you've been actively trying to do it for a while, but you've definitely been thinking about it for a very long time. Well, it it depends on what your definition is for for actively trying. Uh, what I could have sworn I mentioned this to the whatnots, but if not, um, I'm turning fifty very soon, and so there's a variety of things that I had set as goals for myself that I really wanted done before fifty, because there's something about that big fifty number. You know, I remember it's reading. Big yeah, exactly. I think I think uh, Kurt Vonnegut in uh, his introduction to Breakfast of Champions talks about how he wrote it right before he turned fifty, and he talks about Tolstoy f- freeing his uh, in, his indentured servants um, when he turned fifty. Sadly, that did not include Tolstoy's wife. Sadly for Tolstoy's wife, anyway. <laughs> and uh, I, I, have you freed your? Your servants as well. We'll see how it goes. I'm kind of like, if I let the comic books go, like that's pretty much the same as freeing indentured servants. And then I, I, I'm like, you know, Mona, my my feet tend to them now. I I love that you actually have a name for your imaginary indentured servants. Like you, you, you didn't even like wait. You're like, oh, her name is Mona. (laughs) Yes, yes, Graham, imaginary. (laughs) So anyway, uh, yeah. So it, uh, so this has been, uh, this is this this has been this uh, long train coming, so to speak. Or it it's it required. First off, I literally could not have done this without my wife. Much like Tolstoy, uh, we needed to because I had sort of all my collections. I'd never really had them in any kind of order. So like, honestly, like six to nine months ago, um, we, it must've been more than six months ago. It was probably close to a year ago. Cause I knew this was coming. We literally, uh, sorted all the comics alphabetically and by issue number and lined them up in boxes. And then we cataloged them all, 
the Excel chart was just dozens of pages long because it because it literally is when I when I actually texted the number to Graham, he uh, the 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 actual t- t- text back of complete and utter dismay. It was it ended up being eight thousand comics in the end, uh, which is just. And did you sell them all on a winner? Yeah. Like, did some dude pick up eight thousand comics? He literally did. He literally did. So, so I had tried a few times putting this out there to various. I had started first. I approached the local comic book shops uh, nearby, who laughed at me. Um, in some cases, some good friends that I know literally laughed. Actually, there were other ones who just made very uncomfortable faces and really was like, "Ah, uh, yeah, ha ha ha." So I'm sorry, Leaf, forever bringing it up. You had a great <laughs> news store space. I really thought that they would be a wonderful addition since you had all that back issue room. But uh, I, I'm sorry to traumatize you. But uh, I, and then I went on to to then next stage was like people on Craigslist who are like, "Hey, we buy collections." Uh, which involved a lot of dicking me around, like a lot of dicking me around. There was this one guy who was like, uh, who, who actually owns, um, several comic book stores in the Bay Area, in fact, and was like, Oh, I'm very interested. Oh, yes. Why don't you take pictures of, uh, I'd like, I need to see pictures of these comics. Oh, yeah. And can you also send pictures of those comics? You mentioned those comics. And it's like, so the thing to keep in mind, and this is not a surprise to either Graham or the listeners, is I'm, I'm not necessarily a Kempt guy. And so my collection, which, as you can imagine, stretches from the age of 49 all the way back to, I don't know, four, was not in anything like bag and boarded condition. It was readers' copies, and a good chunk of them were readers' copies that had been stored up in Humboldt County, which is just barely a step above being used for mulch. So they were musty smelling. They were unbagged. They were yellowed. I mean, this is it, Graham. I had a copy of Hulk 181 with the collector stamp, like just neat, very nicely cut right out of it. So it's my, my collection was this weird mishmash of, there was some stuff that was actually incredibly valuable. And there was uh stuff that um, nobody would probably want in any condition. So I very much was like a, here's the deal guys. 7,000 comics, which shows you approximately how long ago it was that I started buying them. This is something like 7,500. It was like, I want 3,500 for the entire collection. And the way I looked at it was like, that's basically 50 cents a comic. And it honestly, it does not matter with a stamp out of it. You can sell a Hulk 181 for much more than 50 cents. And I was like, yeah, so, you know, and then the rest of these, if you have a comic book store, Leaf, uh, you can move the rest of these for, you know, like at 50 cents, you mark it up for a dollar. Boom. Sure. Admittedly, it might take a while. Yes. Space. Yes. Labor. Sure. Okay. I see what you're saying. Maybe a little less. 3,500 was my top number, right? So, mm-hmm. so, uh, so like I said, I responded to a couple of these ads and people were like, uh, kind of like, oh yeah, I, I'm very interested in this book and that book, but I'd have to see them. And anyway, and dicked around and blah, blah, blah. Some time passed, nothing ever came of those things. Uh, and then, uh, my wife kind of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, Hey, you know, your birthday is in like three weeks and we do have a back room that's filled with 27 long boxes of comic books. Maybe we should get on that. And I'm like, yes, no problem. So I took some of the pictures that I had snapped to the, uh, various, um, 
unsavory types. And I put up a Craigslist ad saying like, hey, 3500 or best offer, this many comics. I've got these. They're admittedly readers. Some of them are ugly. Some of them are amazing. There's a lot of finds in here. And I got, I got, I got emails back. That, that was literally less than a week ago. I think I put that ad on Sunday afternoon and immediately started getting responses. No, maybe it was a week. Maybe it was Saturday. Started getting some, got a first response within like 24 hours. Uh, then like another three responses a few hours after that. It was really no more than about six guys. And what was amazing were the number of dudes who were kind of, um, it was, it was, I, how do I put it, Graham? This was of, to put this in the most grotesque way possible, I kind of felt like the bell of the ball and I realized what it was to watch guys try and put on their various unsavory moves to get me to go home with them. Because there were a few guys <laughs> who immediately were like, oh, I'm really interested. Can you send me your list? And Because I, I said, I'll send the Excel list for it makes it easier for everyone. You can review everything that I have. And part of me was like, between the volume and the issues that you can search on, I know someone's going to go with this. Yeah, and I got these guys who were like, "Oh, the list is great, but I, I, I'm sorry, I don't see, I, I don't see enough fifty dollar books in here to really make it worth worth my while. It's uh, if you'd consider eight hundred dollars for it, I'll I'll take it off your hands for eight hundred dollars. What? Yeah, and I, and what was amazing was because eight hundred dollars, so, so ten cents a book. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, uh, which you know, again, if it was like ten cents of. Um, Jesus, I don't, I don't know, like the most generic comic that you can think of, which well, I certainly not, had I, in there. Not generic comic, but like if it was, if it was eight thousand comics, and you know, the majority of them were uh, like Scooby Doo team up, or do you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm picking titles that, like you genuinely like. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. No, honestly, no after sale value. For no after sale. Well, even something like let's say, let's say Birds of Prey. Let's, I yeah. mean, they're not, but let's say that I had like an extensive run of Birds of Prey, and people. You know, some people for the right audience, there are people who are going to pay like a buck a bit out of the buck bin for the majority of those. But a lot of people are like, eh, maybe I would buy them for 50 cents. You know, and it's that idea of some retailer or some other guy is like, yeah, I'll pay you 10 cents for them. I know what they're worth. They're worth 10 cents. So anyway, this guy was totally like, yeah. 800 bucks. And I said something like very noncommittal, like, oh, okay, I'll, um, Thanks. I'll keep that in mind. If nothing else comes through, I might come back to you. Right. And the person sends me a thing and then is like, okay, well, I want to see photos of this book and that book. Like the fact he's like, I need to see your photos of chew number one, you know, which is just kind of like, it's just, again, it was just that weird thing of like, oh yeah, you know, I've, it was like being courted by Donald Trump. It is like, you're definitely, <laughs> you're a six. You're definitely a six. If you were a 10, I'd go out with you, but you know, you're a six. So, um, you know, go, go out with you is the nice version of, of yeah, that, exactly. Considering what's been going on this week. <laughs> exactly. Grab you by the birds of prey collection is the, uh, is the appropriate term. And, uh, so, I was like, uh, yeah. So all of a sudden, it's like for a six, all of a sudden, it's like, uh, send me photos of your chew number one. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not texting you photos of my anything for $800. Like, so I just blew them off. So there's the number of guys who were basically into basically negging me into to putting out for them, so to speak. I was like, you better get a cockatoo on your shoulder because this approach is not working for you, you know? <laughs> 
Get a cockatoo. But maybe the old cockatoo in the shoulder. <laughs> maybe you can get a little magic trick going. Like, ah, oh, is this your card? Give me your comic book collection. Like, ooh, you've separated me from my friends and alienated me near the bar where you've plied me with drinks. Let me give you 27 long boxes of comics. So, um, so anyway, the, the worst part is, is I realize now as I'm setting all this stuff up, where this is going and how this is going to end is going to sound, it's so mortifying, I realize. Because, Graham, let me tell you, <laughs> I found a lover who was gentle and compassionate. It's like, reader, I married him. Reader, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the, but the fact of the matter is, is there's a guy here who was down in uh, Sunnyvale who runs a collect, uh, who, who basically, Buys collections. He was one of the first guys to respond. He was always kind of like, hey, I'm really interested. I'd love to let's set up a time. I'd give him a call. He'd call me right back. He was really on top of it. And there were one or two other guys like that as well, but who were kind of um, – at one point, there was – a. Actually, I have to say, I think there was one listener, uh, someone who might have recognized me and was a listener of the podcast and trolled me because I swear one of the responses was literally – and I'm not joking – Hi, do you have any Fantastic Four in your collection? And if so, would you sell me your lot of FF books and how much? And I, and I was like, okay, this person knows I do the Baxter Building podcast. Like, that's, I, that's not necessarily true. That I, could genuinely this was just be Baxter a weird Building Gate format. waiting to happen. Baxter Building Gate right there, Graham. It was like I sold it to them and they were going to be like, oh, how did, much does this person really love the Fantastic Four considering they sold me all their books for like 40 bucks? Bam! It's like hit piece, bleeding cool. Like we would have been completely. I was looking out for you, Graham. That's all I want to say. That, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So, okay. So you you did sell them. To this guy who was the gentle lover. Yeah, the gentle lover who who literally we made the time. He came over on Wednesday night. <laughs> I cleaned up for him. I put I put all the long boxes like out in the living room, and I kind of thought, I, okay, how it was twenty seven long boxes. Mm-hmm. I wish. Did you take a photograph of it? I don't think I did, and I really should have. Oh, I, I've got yeah, some other. I I have a picture of my collection in a in a very unflattering light that I originally posted. That was the picture of the. Oh, you, long okay, boxes. you're putting that in the show notes, oh, right? God. We'll see. Because honestly, I put that in the first ad and Edie, I sent her the ad. I'm like, hey, this is up. She's like, great. And like literally like 15 seconds later, she walked down the hall. She's like, you got to take out that picture of the long boxes. They look like scary crap. And I'm like, well, you know. So anyway, I took it out. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, well, for 20 some long scary. boxes, what I ended up doing was I literally stacked them in – because uh, there was a, there was actually I, I say twenty seven long boxes it was more like twenty five long boxes and like three short boxes so it was right twenty six maybe a little more because ended up filling stuff up but I I stacked them essentially in two stacks of six so boxes one through six and then seven through twelve above it and then in the other corner of the room it was um, you know. Seven through twelve. Wow. Yeah. How did I? How did I do that? There was twenty. I know there was twenty some odd boxes. I guess I stacked them three high. Jesus. I really wish I had taken a photo now because I'm like, oh, I, it really did come out closer to yeah, four stacks of six, which were twenty four, and then like the three boxes that were stat scattered on top or to the sides. Anyway, 
the dude shows up, uh, and I, I figured he would be, I had the, I had my, um, list open on the computer and cause he kind of said, he's like, I've got some stuff and I want to look at specifically. And I figured that what he would be doing would be going, looking through the boxes, looking specifically at the quote unquote big hits. And then we would haggle over a deal. He was basically here for two hours. Really nice guy. I think we both sort of vaguely recognized each other from like, I don't know, comic book shows back in the day, but we couldn't really piece it together. And honestly, but he, he, he went through all those boxes. He literally flipped through, looked at book and book. Every once in a while, he'd pull one out and be like, Oh, I haven't seen one of these for a while. Or, Oh, here's a copy that's well loved, which, you know, was... <laughs> it's the greatest. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, so, he had brought uh, a, um, a a backing board that he jotted down his notes on, like basically stuff that he'd wanted and things. He would really had studied the list beforehand. He's like, oh, and I left it in the van, which is parked up at the top of the hill, and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, he spends hours looking through this, and he's like, okay, I, you know, he's like, I feel like I should really get my board, but it's up the street. And I'm like, oh, go get it. And you know, piece this together, you know, cause at that point it was only like, I don't know, nine o'clock at night. And, uh, so he goes and he leaves and I go into eating. I'm like, Oh man, he's totally gonna lowball me. Cause it's true. The, the, it, what was interesting was the amount of times where he would hold up a book and every once in a while there'd be ones where you could tell he was impressed. Like, I don't know how or why, but I l had two copies of the first edition of The Killing Joke, you know, the green cover yeah. that were somehow in spotless condition. Now, I don't know. I mean, one of them was in a, in a protective bag. The other one wasn't. But it was literally like someone had robbed a comic book store and jammed copies in my long box as they ran by, you know, that kind of weird superhero origin thing. I have no idea where those came from. And he spent time like literally looking at it from just about every angle and nodded and was like, Hmm. And that was, that was it. But the most of the time, what ha what helped was this guy was in a, he was a huge Marvel head. So at a certain point where like, he's, he's pulling out my old copies. He, well, cause my old iron fists, he, those were ones he was really interested in. He flipped through those. He had to check out the stamp on the Hulk 181, but a lot of it was just pulling out stuff and him being like, I remember this series. This didn't get, a, this, this didn't get enough love. You know, well, well, it's, it's great that he's an old Marvel head because so are you like, yeah. there, you genuinely have that. Yeah. Yeah, Bond. Exactly, exactly. And he was the one that noticed. Like, I had that Marvel 2-in-1 annual that, that wraps up the Thanos Warlock saga, but he's like, but you don't have the Avengers annual number 7. And I'm like, uh-oh, what happened to that? Because I know I had that. I read that, like, 35 million times. So yeah. on top of the killing joke, there were a couple of issues that were just gone that I don't know if like they ended up in as you know as as long term listeners may remember I used to do garage sales. I mean this well, is the that, thing that's, that's just it. Like part of me is like you sold eight thousand comics, but you also used to do like annual garage sales. I did. And you'd have multiple long boxes out there. I, I for, would sell off nothing. six six long boxes, six to eight long boxes at a time. I, I would put and, out and, like and six. How many years boxes. did you do those? Three years, at least three years. Yeah. So nice. yeah, and so, so think of think of, think of how many comics you could have had. No, it's totally true. When I think of those and some of the times where there were times where I was kind of hard up for cash uh, back in the 
late nineties or early two thousands. And I'd sell, I'd sell a cut like two long boxes or three long boxes to Hibs at 50 cents a pound. Um, in fact, that's where a, a lot of my late nineties, early 2000 DC stuff went, Oh, the, you know, uh, so I, it just, um, so yeah, no Graham, it really, sh- it really probably was, I, I sold off something like 4,000 to 6,000 more over the course. No, that can't be 6,000, but closer to 4,000 over the course of time. I believe it. Like this, this, which the collection is, is just nuts. Good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know. I know. You, I just love your like, Oh my God. So. Well, well, what's funny for me is, as you know, I gave away my entire comic collection. Didn't even sell. I gave it away before I came to the States. And how, how many comics was it? Do you think? I don't know. Because yeah. I didn't have them in long boxes. I had them in, I had them everywhere. I had them in shelves. I had them in boxes. <laughs> I had, like, literally, I had no real storage system at all. Wow. But I just remember that I gave them to, I gave them someone, and before I gave them to the person, I gathered them all together in, it ended up being, uh, it was like 15 stacks. Wow. They were literally just like piles of comics so high before they fell over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, all I remember is I gave it to her and it filled up her entire car. Like <laughs> entire car. On the passenger seat, on the floor, everything. Because she also had no way of getting it home. Right. She's like, I'll just stick it in my car. And I was like, I don't think you realize how many comics this is. Oh and it fills up our entire car to the point where I was like, I feel that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Jeez. Now, th- this is th- th- how you, so this was a friend of yours, right? This was a friend of mine. Yeah. This is someone I went to art school with. And, th- but this was not a, it, and I, I hope people, do, I hope you particularly don't mind me asking, but there was no, there was no romantic component to your guys' relationship no. ever? No, not, not in the slightest. Oh, yeah. I thought it would be a fun compare contrast. Well, because I'm talking about the entire thing, like the rules and everything, you know. Well, I'm just saying, it's like maybe you guys had a thing and then you weren't, but, you know, I don't know. I was was throwing gender for Jeff to begin with. Oh, I see. Uh, But also, it's also funny because she didn't read comics. Okay, this is getting more confusing, Graham. I really have to say, like, and so she just took them in the. Is she, was she one of those she, people she, that was like, "Oh, this is great. I'm totally gonna like collage up my my yes. mailbox or yeah, something." Yeah, pretty much. Ooh. She was she was pretty much going to use them for her her artwork. Oh, Graham. Mm. And like the the com- you know some of the comics that I had. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I, yeah, and so I, but I I was leaving the country. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I was just like, they've got to go somewhere. I'm not taking them with me. Wow. Wow. Well, and it was never any sort of concept that your parents would hold on to them. Cause I think it is worth oh, saying here oh. that, well, cause bear in mind, like at this point I had, you know, I'd left home to go to school. Mm-hmm. I'd, you know, I'd essentially lived away from home for, for years by this point and my parents had held on to them. Well, see, and, and, but, and then the understanding that, like, I was leaving the country. Yeah. I don't, I don't think any point my parents would be like, no, we'll just keep hold of these. Well, it's more likely they would have just dumped them. You know, it's funny. Well, I'm sure they would have, yeah. But because my, by contrast, uh, my dad held on to my childhood comic book collection. Admittedly, where he lives, like, storage space is really cheap especially if it's storage space that you're not going to make meth in it's really cheap like you're like oh 
Here, this is like $75 a month. Oh, but I'm not making meth in it. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's like $35 a month, and let me take these fire (laughs) extinguishers off the wall. You won't need those. So, so he had these storage spaces, you know, with my, with my books. And I was like, okay, it's fine. It's time. I, you know, I've been renting this storage space. I decided to rent a storage space. This was around the time Edie and I moved in together, actually, 2004. It was clear I wasn't going to have all this stuff. So I got a storage space. And then it was like, oh, and one of the things I wanted to do was go pick up all my comics from my dad. And in fact, we rented a, thing god it's interesting it's this was right around that this was literally the time that uh my brother-in-law got married so we could figure out exactly when that was if i had anything like a memory like anyway so but so all of which is to say like my dad had them like stored them for something like 20 years if not longer 25 years uh and you know was 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 only grudgingly resentful about it, you know, in, mildly grudgingly resentful, which for my dad is almost like approval, really. So it was <laughs> – Basically, he said yes, and that he didn't say no. It, 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 exactly. It was – no, it's more like he said yes, but his eyes said no. But his eyes didn't say no in that flared way. It was no in a resigned way, you know. It's <laughs> like basically his eyes said yes, but his – or rather, his eyes said no, but his eyes didn't have a voice. It's so basically true. I didn't yeah. really listen it to was them. really easy to drown out the the eyes once the mouth was speaking. I was like, okay, I'm sorry, I really got to go with the mouth. I know what the eyes are saying. The eyes are pretty clear here, but the mouth keeps making noises that happen to agree with my particular viewpoint. Which <laughs> exactly. Is, One of these things is agreeing with me, and I'm going to go with them. Well, yes, Graham. That's 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 how the world works. <laughs> so anyway, and, and, anyway, the the reason okay, the reason I was saying like the guy took them is two questions. One, how much did he eventually pay? If I can ask, you can also say fuck off. I'm not going to tell you. And two, in fact, you don't have to give me a dollar figure. I just want to know if he did significantly lowball you, and you accepted it and were okay with it or not. Uh, and two, how do you feel without them? Like, okay. Do you regret it? These these are these are all great questions. These are all great questions. That in the entire day leading up to him coming over, I had a what could best be described as a, a complete streak of dread running through my entire body for like from the moment I woke up through the rest of the day. And thank God I actually rolled over to my wife and said, like, I feel anxious and miserable that that was like, and you know, as opposed to, as opposed to when that's my opening for sexy, uh, sexy times, she knew that this time it actually meant, uh, that I was anxious and miserable. And so hours later, when I came home from work to get ready for all this and I'm like, Jesus, it must be the coffee. Cause I just feel like this nervous wreck. She's like, no, you pretty much said so. So miserable leading up to it. The guy was here at one point when he left to go get his little chart. And I was like, shit, he's going to, he's going to lowball me. I had a bottom. I had, well, it, how do I put it? I had a bo- bottom offer. And then I sort of had this super rock bottom offer, which was one of the negging guys on Craigslist who literally wrote me like a two sentence thing that was like, uh, uh, I, you know, it's, I will, I'll offer you $1,800 cash for them right now. 
And I was like, I was like, oh, this guy is trying to negotiate, right? So, I, like, I was like, great, I'll counter offer and maybe we'll bring it down to. So I wrote that guy back and I was like, meh, how about 3000 And I never heard from him again. So in the back of my brain, I was like, well, if this doesn't go right, maybe I can, like, beg this guy for 1800 bucks. Uh, so, but the dude comes back in and he sits down with the calculator and he, he, he's tapping things out and he's looking at some of the books and, and, you know, it, again, really, it, he was there and he's rubbing his chin and he was very quiet for a long time. And he was like, so how much wiggle room do you have on your original offer? And this was kind of the first time that I actually went like, actually, there was one point where he was writing out the, the, um, numbers on the board. And the fact that he then paused and then said, like, what's your wiggle room? I was like, oh shit, he's going to offer me this much money. And, um, and the number was I, I like, again, I don't need to know a number and neither do the listeners. I'm, I was just curious. No, no, no. I, I, you know me, I, everyone has heard my life story here on this damn show. And <laughs> honestly, yeah, but I, we, we can, that can be your 50th birthday gift to yourself. It, it's it's we don't, gift of, we yeah. don't talk about dollar figures on the show. It's, pro it's probably just as well. I know it makes you uncomfortable anyway. No, no, no. I already listed the numbers. I think, I think it's only fair. So after this, after I turn 50, 50, I'm going to have to start being discreet. Is maybe that should be my goal, my my freeing of the serfs of uh, of oversharing. Uh, so uh, he, he, I was like, well, he's like, would you would you come down on it? I'm like thirty two hundred, and he's like, uh, and I was like, you know, there's this book, there's that book, there's this and this. He's like, yeah. He's like, ah, he's like, here's the thing. Like, I've got you know most of your books. What I'm going to do is there's the stuff. That he's like, he's like, basically, I'm going to take this, the issues of yours that turn them into my readers copies and sell my copies and move them along to, at, at, you know, and he's like, and then I've got everything else that I'm going to be able to move, but it's going to take some time and I'm trying to come up with the dollar number for that. So he's like, you know, so it's very straightforward in terms of like, this is what I want. And even the fact that he was like, I'm going to, you know read your musty copies of walking dead and sell on, move on my pristine copies, you know? Uh, so uh, essentially we bumped some numbers back and forth. I really, and, um, he was like, how about 2,800? I'm like, I, I was really hoping for three. And he, we, we both were kind of quiet for a minute. And I was like, I was like, do you want it? I said, I'll split the difference and call it 29 if you want. He's like, Okay. And we, you know, we shook on it and that's then, actually kind of great. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought so too. I thought so too. So like I said, you know, he literally paid me right there on the spot. Uh, and, uh, he took a quite well, seriously. You delete there, Jeff. You're rich. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I did, didn't I? Like, woohoo, all this money. So, uh, so yeah. So then he went and got the, um, got the van, uh, Park, double parked it. Actually, we were able to park it in the parking spot next door, and it's a, a sheer bit of miraculous luck. And then um, the two of us loaded up 20-some-odd long boxes, and he drove off. And I, so at the risk of being overly melodramatic, uh, I, and there is really no risk. It's 100% guaranteed. I... 
was one step, significant step closer to knowing what it was going to be like to die, you know, because here was something that I had carried all my life that literally was my life that represented this actual physical manifestation of everything that I had sort of experienced. And, um, and it was kind of this idea, like I, I've just had a really strong sense of like, Oh, if I'm lucky enough where I get to the point where I'm really old and my body feels like this thing that is, has gone from being something that I loved and have given me joy and is this constant reminder of good times is just going to be a thing that is literally too much to continue to carry with me. You know, that this, this multi hundred pound smelly albatross that represented my childhood and most of my adulthood and times with my brothers and countless, countless happy trips to supermarket spin racks and flea markets and out of town comic book stores and the local comic book shop, like all of that, I literally couldn't deal with the burden of having it anymore. Even more to the point of me, this thing like about 50 that uh, I, I don't know if I... Graham knows, but I don't think the whatnots know. I, I had a childhood friend die this year, uh, from cancer. And interestingly enough, her husband is a huge comic book dude. And I actually thought about offering the collection to him because it seemed this weird sort of apt transition almost in a way in that weird way that fortunately I was smart enough, uh, unfortunately having lost people close to me before. I knew it was kind of a good idea to kind of keep to myself in a way. Cause he honestly at no, he seemed like he was going on his own journey as he does when, you know, God, you lose your wife. Uh, I was very aware even before all this started that I was haunted by the idea that I might die suddenly and that Edie would have to get rid of all this shit, like all those comics, which mean nothing to her except kind of me, but kind of in that weird way of like, I don't know. It's, I never have much fear about the idea of to, to go, to go relentlessly super grim when I was, um, I guess a little older than 25, 26 or 27. One of my best friends died suddenly, uh, of a thing that it took us a long time to, I don't know the name of it, but apparently it's this thing that really super skinny ectomorphic guys have to worry about. There's like a, a, a congenital heart defect that sometimes comes when you're like really super ectomorphic. It's, I don't know the name for the condition of it. Uh, turns out that he actually had that. And it's one of those deals where before they started doing testing for it, cause I actually have a friend whose uh, son got tested for it because he was such a string bean. Uh, I guess they do some testing for it now, but they didn't back then. And when I say back then, I really just mean the early 90s. And I remember his wife telling me because he had died unexpectedly the, the, before the testing, the, the most common <laughs> first symptom that you had this condition 80% of the time was like a sudden death. And, Holy shit. And so, yeah, so my, <laughs> my friend essentially went in to use the restroom and died like 
just died. And so her, she had told me about opening the door to the restroom and his, his body was blocking the door. Oh God. And she, she had to, she had to force the door open to get to him because of course she was worried. And so here was his body. You know, that she was trying to, that she had to literally push past to get to. And I just remember her telling me this story, of course. And, and, you know, these weird little things that you pick up along the way. I'm very sort of like, boy, I sure want to make sure I die in bed, even though that's really not the way that you're going to go. But so... Again, this weird manifestation of like all these comics were were more my body than my body. Like I managed to move transition so much of internalizing that loss and that idea of 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 your loved one having to deal with your body to this idea of like Jesus. I sure don't. I don't want Edie to have to deal with literally eight thousand comic books in the wake of me being dead. Like on top of all the rest of the grieving, here's this horrible, musty cardboard semi monolith in the back room that you have to get rid of, you know, that I was just like, ah, I don't want to put her through this. So, so this idea of the body being this thing that at a certain point you're going to be unable to carry with you anymore, like, and you're still living, but at a certain point you've, Got, you know, you've got to let it go. Like, it is actually harder at a certain point. You know, you're just, and I mean, again, this doesn't apply to people who are hit struck by cars or sudden die in their sleep sort of deals. But for a lot of people who, again, I've seen some other people die where it's like they have to go, you know, and yeah, yeah. and you've got to make that decision. And I've really, it, again, melodramatic though it may be, I felt like I really knew what it felt like to to have that decision on me to let go of this thing that I'd had for so long because I just, it, it was in, intolerable. It was uncarryable. So this guy rolled off with the books and I felt like kind of heartbroken and I, I felt this very deep sense of grieving and I'd said goodbye to like, you know, this one thing that had for so long represented this huge facet of who I was and what it meant to give it up. Um, but I also felt so dramatically relieved. And the thing that I thought was really interesting is, is, and I knew this would probably be the case and I'm, I'm happy to report that it is for every hour that passed, the relief grew and the, the grief diminished. So that's, that's fascinating because for me, I, I don't want to say I had the opposite effect, mm -hmm. but um, because of the way, like because of why I was getting rid of my comics, mm -hmm. uh, and because of the time frame, mm -hmm. like I got rid of them super close to me leaving the country. Right, right, which is and, a and, huge transition too. You know? But uh, but it, but the relief was prevalent for me. The relief was primary when I got rid of them because it was it was literally a, I've checked this off the list. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. I, I had to do this. I've done this. This is good. And it was afterwards where I was like, oh, I, you know, I should have kept X or Y. Or, and it was never, I wish I'd kept the entire collection. Sure. But it was, you know, 
I had all of the, the Levitt's Legion. Mm-hmm. You know, I had mm-hmm. all the Englehart Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and, and, and there were points where I was just like, oh, you know, I wish I'd get that. Because I, I did keep, keep some. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why I want to ask you as well. Did you get rid of everything or did you keep some? I, I ended up keeping a short box of books that I'm not sure. I actually, I know a few of them are things that I was going to give you. Like there's a couple of DC samplers in there and, um, there's like an ombre around, there's a Spanish Spider-Man comic book that I thought would be funny. There's like a short box, like, a cherry pop tart issue that I suspect I'm probably just going to slip into a pile of Archie's and traumatize my niece with, like you know, a bunch of years from now. Because I have a, I have a almost a long box of comic books for June, and if she doesn't want them, that's fine. I have two or three long boxes of Marvel Essentials, uh, but I, that is literally it. I I gave away. Oh, you know what I kept? I kept the two things that I, I pulled aside out of the boxes to make sure they did not leave were the two uh issues of destroyer duck that i bought when i was up in portland that last time with you because Mm -hmm. i i because i went out of my way to buy them and i still yeah exactly it's so recently as well yeah yeah and uh i made sure absolutely made sure because they ended up jammed in with a bunch of comics uh, and I didn't want them to leave the the uh, DC showcases of the Bob Haney's Brave and the Bolds, those mm-hmm. three volumes. I was like, oh, shit, I can't let go of those, which is funny because I let go of actual a lot of actual Bob Haney Brave and the Bolts. Uh, no, it's all, it's, it's, I've got trades, um, and, and I've got a small handful of weirdo singles that are just more like they wouldn't fit in, 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 they weren't sorted into the main collection and I've got a bunch of stuff for June. Uh, and that is, that's it. And I think my approach is going to be, well, I don't know what my approach is going to be. On the one hand is everyone knows like all my stories about, uh, dying and death. And this is what it means to be mortal. It's like, everyone's like, dude, you shop on comiXology. I know you have more comics that you can read right now. And it is absolutely true. I've, I, I've got a lot of stuff that I've bought on comiXology. I can still read those. And the weird part is I'm actually really happy. Sorry. I, 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 there's a semi transition here on the future that I need to figure out because the fact of the matter is I've got subscriptions to about six or seven comic books right now through comiXology. And unlike in the past, where it's like a subscription to bot manga or, um, uh, wonder woman 77 or something like that. These are comics that come out, you know, like in the case of uh suicide squad or death stroke, um, every couple of weeks, or in the case of like Gwenpool or killer be killed or platinum end once a month. And it's kind of awesome to just not have any more fuss than I'm going to bring the iPad to work and I'm going to download these. The first thing when I get in in the morning and I, then I'm going to read them at lunch. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice, but I also can't imagine giving up uh, shopping at Comics Experience and the people that I know there and, and, and also being able to get outside of the box of Comixology is, I want to say it's really good at selling you what you know. The fact is with some of the search functionality, it's it's okay at selling you what you already know. I don't think it's unless there's some weird sale book stuff, which I can actually talk about if we move on to actually talking about comics, uh, that you can pick up through comiXology. But I feel like the discovery is not quite 
the same level as what you get when you continue, when you go to your local comic book shop, especially if it's like comics experience, an amazing one. And that's the thing. We, I, I'm also near mission comics. I, I live in an area that is such an anomaly in terms of having a number of amazing comic book shops that it would be ridiculous for me to, to not take advantage of that. But that said, I honestly think that what I'll do is I'll probably buy singles and then give them away every year. Like I've honestly thought like, I'll just package them up at random and send them to the, send them to the, our patrons on Patreon at the end of every year. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'll have enough moxie to do that, but. I'm sorry. I feel like I didn't answer whatever your question is or what it's going to be. <laughs> no, you, you, you did. No. Um, it's just, cause here's the thing. You've, you've made this, a f- it is a big change. Like it really is a big shift it's when you have been collecting comics for, for as long as you have or, or even as long as I had when I got rid of mine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, saying goodbye to that collection. Yeah. Is, is a really big shift. It's, it's a dramatic change. Yeah. And, and it's, it's this, at least for me, it was much more emotional than I felt I had any rights to admit. That's a perfect way to describe it because it really is. It's so funny because in fact, that's, that 100% is my feelings. When you were like, oh, let's talk about this. I was really hoping that we would be, on the same emotional level, but I was so sure that basically my feeling was like, I'm more emotional about this than I, I feel comfortable admitting or that I have a right to feel. And Graham is going to be totally like, ah, no, no. Cause, cause I, 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 like I said, I had the, the opposite. I had the flip side reaction. I, I started with relief and then, and then a never, little bit of regret sort of. Yeah. Hmm. Never regretted getting rid of the whole thing. Right. But did regret individual issues. And also just the idea of that, that I had spent so much time doing this mm-hmm. and that it wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. um, and you do end up really emotionally invested in it because it's not, like you said, it's not just getting rid of the comics. It's mm-hmm. not just getting rid of the pieces of paper. It's getting rid of the, I remember where I was when I bought this. You complete. Or I, I've had this, like I've had this for three decades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? And you're like, and it's beaten to shit. Yeah, <laughs> and it looks terrible. And no one would think this is worth a damn. But this, you know, I remember exactly where I was when I bought this. I, I remember how I felt and the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Where you were when you when you uh, bought it, but also sometimes where you were when you read it. When you were yeah, when you read yeah. it for like the third or fourth time, even you know, because that is that thing that you could do as a kid. It's, um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this a little bit because, uh, in doing the Baxter building, you and I read, uh, the Marvel Unlimited versions for convenience. Uh, and then, but we also have access to the GIT core scans, which have all the ads, uh, and are, you know, scans of actual books. So in every once in a while, you'll see some marginalia or something like that. But, Reading the GIT stuff is always this weird, like, it's one step closer to reality because of the context of, like, oh, I remember these ads. I used to love this ad. I used to love yes, this, yes. you know. Cause it, cause, and the digital comics, like, when you buy stuff in Comixology, that, you don't get those. And sometimes it really is the ads. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, fuck, remember when Joe Kubert did the art for... Exactly. Whatever. All those one-page Heroes I, I, I World heard. ads. Yeah, yeah. Heroes World. Totally right. Heroes World. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you get... And you can get, like, fake nostalgia from that as well. For example, as you know, I, I spent a long time hunting down the Engelhart issues of Justice League of America. Yes. Which I had never read before. 
Mm-hmm. Never. But they have the same ads as comics that I read when I was a kid. Mm. And so you have this weird, like, mm-hmm. phone nostalgia. Yeah, right. Exactly. You're like, court, like, this, this totally makes sense to me. The paper feels like, the paper has a tactile feel. Exactly. Of something I remember. And look, there's a, a, a Twinkies ad. Yeah, right. And so, you know, and I, I remember that shit. Mm-hmm. And you do have this, it's very, this very emotional connection. Yeah, and and it is. It's each step that you get closer to the real thing. It does heighten that a little bit. So yeah, there were times when sorting through this stuff, like it's like ah yeah, it's not just this ad. It's that this ad is since it's on different paper stock and is mustard yellow, really kind of like there's a visceral response. It's a it you know when you're when you're a kid. Man, and all those connections are still, I guess, relatively new. Like, they, they really kertwang. They really stick. Like, you really have this strange, it's amazing how much those emotions can attach to the bullshit ad in the back or the feel of the paper, all of that. And when you hold it again, you're like, wow, this is, it's shocking how close to the surface it is. But at the same time, there is the that weird miracle of like, and maybe if I managed to distill my comic book collection down to like six comics, you know what I mean? Where it was like six actual comics that you could pick up and run your fingers on and all that. But once you've got, for me, in my case, 8,000 books, you literally cannot choose. You just can't yeah, exactly. go through One them the and six. pull those. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Yeah, you just can't. It's It becomes this weird all or nothing deal. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And it's weird since I've kind of, the thing, the thing that's hard is, like I said, I really feel a lot of relief. Um, I really also feel kind of that slightly stunned thing that someone who's kind of retrieved a trauma, uh, is sort of, um, <laughs> has the well, other, I, I'm laughing, but it's kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, because you'll have you'll have like Phantom Comic Syndrome for a while. Yeah, where I you'll think, be yeah. like, oh, I I can go and read this. Like you're thinking something, you're like, oh, I need to go and check that out. I can't. Exactly, I, and I think I think that I so far I've been pretty lucky, like, having accrued amazing chunks of things. It was so funny. It was like uh, the guy was going through all the books and he was telling me about his experiences of watching the Luke Cage TV show because he had the comics as a kid. And we were talking and I I had watched the first um, 30 or 50, 45 hours of the show, which is to say I was up to about episode three. And, uh, <laughs> wow. He, he pulled out, he pulled out like when he was at episode eight or nine or something like that. And, uh, and we were sort of talking about the, the various tonal shifts and things and also the shout outs because the shout outs are thorough in that show. And as we were talking, he came across the section that was maybe this is why he started thinking of it because we, he was in the L's. He got to the Luke Cages and he started pulling out my issues of Hero for Hire and he's like, ah, see? This is exactly what I was talking about. And we were, I was kind of like, hey, so, you know, he, he pulls out the Dr. Doom issue. He's like, Dr. Doom hasn't shown up yet. He probably won't, but I'm kind of hoping. So, you know, we were able to talk about, of course, that amazing Steve Englehart issue and other stuff. Uh, God, what, what was the connection on that? Oh, yeah, uh, running around kind of dazed and stunned and that idea of like, so we had that perfect moment of like, oh, yeah, it's like that one issue. Oh, here it is right here. You know, and I really won't have that. And yet the amazing thing is, is that I know, you know, by those, 
bastards who I cannot believe that Marvel was like, oh, yeah, hey, here's the Marvel Masterworks on digital, the first, like, ten issues of, of Luke Cage Hero for Hire. Why don't you take that for three ninety nine? I was like, oh, here's this, here's the essential Iron Fist, because we want to promote Iron Fist. Here's every book that Jeff bought in the last Marvel BOGO, you know, and cleverly managed to save himself, that he was only 99 cents an issue. Here it is at basically like 10 cents an issue digitally. P- take that, Jeff. And, um, you know, well, I still have all access to Marvel Unlimited these days. It's true. And that's the other thing is, of course, then, it, then, it, then they rolled it out. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird experience. Uh, one thing. Oh, so, right. So what's weird is, is there's been the relief. There's been the part that's stunned. Unfortunately, work has been, uh, uh, amazingly stressful. So I've also been kind of short, like kind of, I'm kind of on edge even though there's this huge relief underneath, honestly, I'd like to think that it's just I'm two weeks away from what I think of as a very well-deserved vacation. Maybe my coworkers will disagree, but uh, and so therefore, I'm just at that stage of like I can't, I can't take any more of this, you guys. You've got to lay off the bullshit. But it it may not be bullshit. Also, and I don't know if this is if I was like a different essayist than the talky guy that I am. Re- I should mention, I've had this weird case of like conjunctivitis in one eye, just my right eye for pretty much since last week. I think it's been like a full week. And I I had a couple, I had a couple of weird cases of this when I first started my new job position where Mm -hmm. I had developed this sty on the inside of my eye and people were like, oh, it's stress and blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I've had, I was like, oh shit, I cannot believe this is this reoccurrent thing. Um, and I just, I was, I kept looking for like the sty. I was like, I don't know what it is. And uh, there's two types of conjunctivitis, AKA pink eye. Apparently there's, there's, uh, the bacterial, uh, version where you get some sort of uh, thing in your, you know, you get the, the, the actual virus in there and that's the stuff that's really spready and, and other people can get. And then there's this other thing that's like objective, uh, conjunctivitis or uh, object based conjunctivitis where basically you get something in your eye and your eye is like trying to get yeah, to get it out. Yeah. Get it out. And I was like, I kept looking. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't feel anything. So this morning we get up and I go and I open the curtains in the bedroom we slept in, which is rare. Normally it's like, go to the gym, run for five miles, but we didn't do it for a variety of reasons. Open the curtains. Sunlight hits me right in the eye. And, and all of a sudden I can feel it. I can feel And I'm like, God, damn it, what the hell? And I stumbled to the bathroom and I am not joking. I literally pulled out a, a hair that had gotten into my eye. I've had eyelashes in my eye, but this is an honest to God, like, like proper hair for inch hair. hair. I, no, it, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't think so. Cause my beard hair is like little, it's so wiry. It's like little lightning bolts, uh, mm-hmm. scattering around the room. This is, Sad to say, it's, you know, sort of a semi-circular thing that is thin. It's not very long. It's so much longer than my eye. Like, I don't, but I think it, somehow I think part of my goddamn receding hairs on my head 
got into my eye somehow. I don't know. Pillow to eye, I'm not sure. It was there for a week. So I've been running off the high of like, oh, I do not, my eye feels so much better. It's literally, you know, that sort of weird, like positive endorphin, like, oh my God, what a relief exactly. feeling. It, Jeff, you've had a fucking surreal week. It really has been, Graham. It's been like, surreal. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I have to admit that you are completely right. You know, but let's hear about your, you've, you've had some crazy ass shit. I mean, if nothing else, there's, there's new, your experiences in New York I'd love to hear about. We've literally have not talked about. Yeah. So, so since while you've been going through all of that. Yeah. Um, I've had in the last two weeks, my in-laws here for a week. And then the very next day, me flying to New York for New York Comic Con, Mm. where, I, I'm going to say the very next day, like, my, my in-laws left at like 10 o'clock on the, on the Tuesday. Jesus. And I was like in the air by 8 o'clock on the Wednesday. Oh in the morning. God. 8 a.m. So like less, literally less than 24 hours later. Yeah. Oh, less than 12, Jeff. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait. I thought you said like they left 8 in the morning on Tuesday. No, 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 no. They left 10 o'clock at night. Oh, 10 then... o'clock at night. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Less than 12 hours. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's, brutal. which was, which was nuts. <laughs> um, and let's see. Well, the, the, the in-law stuff we'll talk about when we're not recording. You're like, when there's no chance of it ever getting back to anyone ever. <laughs> um, but New York Comic Con, so I, I had so many people, so many people basically badmouth the show before I went. I mean, so many. And you were one of them, Jeff. And I really liked it. Well, I I found it to be a really good halfway point between Emerald City and San Diego. Yeah, which I see you saying, but I mean, did they fix it? Was it not held in the Javits Center? Cause no, that's... it was held in the Javits Center. Here's the thing. My hotel was like... 10 minutes walk from the Java Center. Oh, okay. Congratulations. Cause there was never anything when I went, there was nothing 10 minutes away. Like there wasn't a bathroom 10 minutes away from the Java Center when I went. Admittedly, that was a while ago, but Jesus. Okay. Well, that's great. So, you just, so no, I, I'm, so I didn't have the, cause I know that a lot of people have had that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have had the, like, it's, it's the middle of nowhere. And yeah. sure enough, it's, it's the middle of nowhere, but my hotel was in the middle of that nowhere. Mm-hmm. So it, it was fine. And also, it's not really like Madison Square Garden is right there. Mm-hmm. But I, I really, I really, really liked it. I had a really strange con experience because I was working it for the Hollywood Reporter, mm-hmm. and I was also the only Hollywood Reporter person there. Wow. There was a TV guy there as well, but mm-hmm. he was barely there. Like it was basically me. So I did a lot of film stuff, which I don't normally do. Wow. Interesting. And I was, I was far busier. Than I am at San Diego. Mm-hmm. Far, far mm-hmm. Uh, like, I was doing things, uh, let's see, it was just, uh, the Friday. So the Friday, I started at 9 o'clock. My first thing was at 9 o'clock. And my last thing finished after 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And that was just like the day. <laughs> you know, it's just like, that's what we're doing. And so it'd literally be like, you know, go and talk to, like, so the, the Friday, it was like, go and talk to Luke Besson about Valerian's new film. Wow. Uh, and and then write that up and then go do this panel and write that up and then go do this panel and write that up and and that was and that was it that was my days it was literally non-stop mm. um and in the in between like uh trying to meet people who i knew online who i'd never met before mm-hmm. so like uh 
Joe Panatosi, I met Steve Morris. Uh, but at the same time, I met them for like two minutes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like, I've got to go, you guys. Um, which was, was kind of, looking back on it, I feel it should have been more, fr- it should have felt more frantic than it did. And it felt relatively frantic, but San Diego felt worse. Huh. Something's really strange about it that it basically, I think I, I had a better experience. Hmm. Than I, than I do at San Diego. I, yeah, I just, I, I had a really good experience. I, I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Uh, so, so hooray! Let's see. I'm yeah, think yeah, what, that's fabulous. What I say to, to, um, sort of add to that. I met, part of, part of the fun was I met Ryan North and Erica Henderson. Ooh. Like in person for the first mm-hmm, time because mm-hmm. I interviewed them for Hollywood Portrait the week before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, a really unusual interview because normally when you interview people, it's like part of a, you know, you got 50 minutes, you got 50 minutes, you got 50 minutes type thing. And this is people just giving the same answers every right. 50 minutes. Uh, and I was talking to them for the Squirrel Girl graphic novel. And, but it was a call just for me. Mm. And so we got half an hour. Mm-hmm. It was me and Eric and Ryan and uh, Will Moss, the editor. Mm. And we got half an hour to talk. And... They're very, um, they're very funny conversationalists, and like they have a good rhythm and they have a good beat and patter between them. Mm-hmm. So it was a very fun conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they, I don't know how the interview turned out, but it was a very fun conversation. So it was nice to put faces to names after that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that as well. There's a lot of, you know, I'm so and so, and they're like, oh, I I know your work. Uh, I talked to Greg Pack. We had we had a conversation like that. Greg Pack was the nicest guy, like mm. genuine, a really nice guy. Um, but also on the flip side, I talked to people and I didn't introduce myself because I felt too embarrassed, which was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I talked to Cameron Shore and Brendan Fletcher mm-hmm. about motocross, and I didn't introduce myself. Wow. And like I've known Cameron online for uh, since the Invisibles was going on. Wow. Like, I met Cameron online when Barbalith.com was a, a message board called The Nexus. Wow. Like, for the third volume of The Invisible. So, like, we're talking at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I just could not drink this myself. I was like, this will be weird. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, so I was like, I'm just going to be like, hey, tell me about your comic. You know, let's talk about that, but never actually be like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um. So no, it was it was fun, and part of it, I I can totally see the complaints that people said, but I really enjoyed the fact that Artist Alley was in its own little block, mm-hmm. because it made it more personable in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that is the way I approach conventions now. Mm. Like if I, uh, so for example, on this Saturday, for almost all the Saturday, I was actually in Madison Square Garden because I was covering movie stuff, mm. but I had to go back to the Java Center at one point because I had an interview with Dan Slott. And it was a, a face-to-face interview. And it was at the Marble booth. And there's something about you step into the, the, the con floor and it's just, it's it, it, it was like San Diego. It's just non-stop and everyone's there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ridiculous lines and it's too busy and there's all the noise and there's all the, the like, overwhelmingness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that Art Sally was quieter. Not a lot quieter. Art Sally was also ridiculously mobbed on mm-hmm. this. Um, but 
you know, part of me is like, I'm on the con floor. I'm kind of here for work now. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, this is this is not necessarily fun for me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Art Sally could go around and I could talk to people, and I was like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the, the, I, I, and the fact that they're literally physically different spaces mm. made that easier for me. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was like either the Emerald City, where, where the, the two were mixed, the two were <laughs> which space. is pretty much the same thing. When I went to NYCC, that was the same deal. Was it was kind of like one, as I recall, it was like one big area. They actually had a separate underground area for like meetings and present, like presentations and stuff, conference room type situation. But in terms of like. The video games right next to Marvel, right next to the dealers, right next to like the artists. It was, it was, it was just all kind of a thing. And that is kind of rough. On the other part, there were times that were great. Like, uh, I do want to say it's funny that I was bitching about New York Comic Con because weirdly one of my favorite moments was there was a point where I was trying to make my way through just an aisle in the back and and for whatever reason, nobody was going anywhere, and I was stuck in his fanboy funk. But on the other hand, there were so many people that were cosplaying. I felt like I was like in an all nerd uh, rendering of Blade Runner, you know, just in terms <laughs> of like all the people in the streets where you're like trying to push your way through, and it's just clogged. Except half of them are wearing you know enormous styrofoam swords on their back or whatever. It was hilarious. So. Yeah, it, it's it's I it it can be it can be pleasantly overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, there the really is the element where you're, where especially with cosplayers, my attitude towards cosplay has really changed mm-hmm. in like the last couple of years. I used to not dislike it, but really be like, "What's the point?" Like, <laughs> you know, I'm glad that makes you happy, but I don't get it. Oh. And I. And I couldn't tell you why, but now I've got to the point where I'm like, oh my god, these people are so excited. And, and, you know, they're, I've, I've come to recognize and appreciate when people are like, do great costumes as well. Yes. Whereas right. before I was like, eh, whatever. Yeah. And that, and I'm like, holy shit, that's amazing. One of my favorite cosplays, and sadly I didn't, just didn't take photographs and I, I should have, but it was one of those like, I've got too much to do things. Um, there was a group of people who dressed up as the Thundercats. Wow. And I mean, all of the fucking Thundercats. Not just a lino, like the whole bunch. Jesus. And they're just wandering around together. And because it's a fucking comic convention, they got stopped every two steps. Mm-hmm. By people want to take, every single time someone wanted to take a photograph, they'd stand in the same arrangement, and lino would hold his sword up above, and sure enough, go, oh! That is awesome. Yeah. Right? There yeah. is something genuinely great about that. Yeah, yeah. They're like, they're like, they are so into it. They're so happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 just, I, I guess at some point I've come to really appreciate fandom mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Like you know, them being so happy at doing that makes me happy now. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Which it is. It's it is a wonderful thing. It does also. I when I was like saying like, oh yeah, we were stopped for some reason, and I was like, oh yeah, it must have been a cosplay pose kind of deal. Because there is that thing that the, you, you're making your way through these tiny little aisles and and two people will meet one another and it's a cosplay opportunity and they're like, ah, oh, okay, finally, 
Thundercats and My Little Pony go, you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah. uh, it, yeah, it will, it will slow up everything. But I agree. I, I, weirdly, I was always into cosplay before. So it just helps that the great thing is I haven't been to a show in like so long. I'm like, oh, I'm even more pro cosplay because it doesn't affect me in the fucking slightest. <laughs> exactly. Not here. Everything's fine. Yeah. So, so when was the last time you were at a show? Uh, the last time I was at a show, I really, I, I'm hard pressed to remember, uh, cause it's shit. I'm, I'm trying to think, in fact, what it might, I would, the smart money would be the last show that I was at was the last year that WonderCon was in San Francisco. So, I mean, that's like what, six or seven years now? Yeah. Uh, if, if not more. Yeah, if not more. Did WonderCon not leave San Francisco before I left San Francisco? And I've been gone for eight years this year. I, I'm i pretty sure that it left two years after you left, Graham. Okay. Because then... there was a couple of points where there was – remember there was one point where you were ta- we were talking oh, about you flying in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and you were going to stay. So I think it's probably been like maybe six or seven years or something then. So – Maybe only five, but it's it's been a long time, especially because I did that round where I did three San Diego's in a row with WonderCons. And I know that's nothing compared to what you and the, the you know, professional writer types well, do, but it's still pretty thing. amazing. The reason I was asking was I've done three conve- four conventions this year, mm-hmm. um, and that's a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot, a lot. Yeah. It's more usual that I do two. It's more usual that I do Rose City and and San Diego. Uh, San Diego. Yeah, yeah. And so the fact that I've done four. Uh-huh. Well, I, you had. A, I, you, I, was, you, you... I actually was thinking that when I was I was in New York. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, that's a punch." <laughs> yeah. What was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting was there was that there was a, like a two or three year period where you were really burnt, and then. You didn't go to San Diego for like a year or two years, maybe? Two years. There, I think there's two years. I think it was two years. And I think that helped you tremendously because since after that break, you started going back to shows and you say things like, I'm actually looking forward to going and I'm looking forward to seeing some people that I know here, but I'm just kind of looking forward to it. And honestly, I really do. We've, I want to get my act together so that you and I can do a, I would love to do a wait, what booth at, at Rose city. You know, I think that would yeah, be, that, that, that would be super fun. Yeah. I think so. Too. It, like we should try and do that next year. Yeah. 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 I think that would be great. But, uh, so any news come out of the shows that I think, uh, I feel I like that would be a, good. I don't think there was a lot of like really great news. Someone think, asked us on Twitter about an announcement that was like the, Vegas announcement ever, which I don't know if you saw. Marvel is doing a Miss America comic. Oh, huh. uh, but literally, the, that was the announcement. There was no creative team. There was no launch date. Yeah, it was Marvel's doing a Miss America comic. The cover is going to be by Jamie McKelvey. The end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just like it was the weirdest because uh, I think I've said this before. Marvel and previously DC did this, but they don't anymore. Used to send out to press. Here's the announcements we're making at the show ahead of time. Right. Uh, basically as a heads up, but mm-hmm. also as a, if you, like, if you need any extra information, you can ask us now. And the Miss America thing wasn't on there at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes me wonder if it was a super last minute decision mm-hmm. to announce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, other thing that was funny was there are at least two things 
that were going to be announced that weren't. One of which had a Hollywood Reporter exclusive, and we had to pull it. Like, oh shit! Literally, literally, like an hour before it was going to go live, mm. and the PR guy's like, "We're actually not going to announce it on the show. Pull the story." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> which was hilarious. Um, but for the, I, I definitely all the shows this year, DC again did all their announcements before the convention, mm. mm-hmm. uh, because I believe the thinking is. Why announce stuff at a convention uh, when you can announce it before the convention and get more people paying attention? Right. Which is true. You announce mm-hmm. something at a convention, it's really a crapshoot whether mm-hmm. people are going to pay attention. Um, DC announced uh, Batwoman ongoing series. Right. That's right. of Detective. Mm-hmm. Um, and who's uh, the team on it? Because I remember, of course, part of me is like... Mm-hmm. Really surprisingly, is the ah, artist. there we go. Right. And Margaret Bennett is writing. There we go. I knew it was actually, kind of people that you'd be uh, pleased by. So yeah, Margaret Bennett is actually co-writing the first yeah. arc mm-hmm. uh, with James Tynan from Detective, mm-hmm. and she's also co-writing the Detective arc that sets it up, mm-hmm. which is it like actually makes sense in a weird way. You know, like mm-hmm. oh, that's that's a really good way of getting the continuity down. So much so that I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think about like what if DC announced anything else that was particularly interesting. I I think I, think, so? I, I oh, want to no, say they Wildstorm. They did the the Warnell's Wildstorm announcement. Right, that was big news. I remember Which seeing it on your Twitter, surprising. and you were like, "Holy yeah. fuck!" Yeah, yeah, yeah because really, like yeah. Warnell's does Wildstorm again. Who who saw that coming? I did. I certainly did not. But um, yeah, that's. I want to. I want to say the Commandy Challenge, which I feel you knew about, was Commandy made a little more has, official. Has been, yeah, Commandy Challenge has now been announced like three times. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, they've they've announced the the actual lineups for the the the, the issues. Yeah, maybe that's why that one stuck a little. But bit yeah, more this they time. definitely like they definitely announced it at San Diego as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's this weird thing where like. I think they can get away with announcing things more than once because people don't remember. Like no one remembered Commanding Challenge was announced. Yeah. Uh, right. Also, like um, Nicholas Scott's off uh, Wonder Woman with issue mm. fourteen. Right. And everyone was like, "It's a big shakeup." And again, that was all announced when the book launched. That she's right. only been doing six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was announced as like, "Holy shit, disaster!" <laughs> and everyone was like. No. Oh, we've actually, this has always been the case. Although I'm really happy to see Bill Cosevely is, is the replacement. Mm. Uh, cause she's great. Like her stuff is just so, so good. And I'm, I'm really glad to see that she's the replacement. Um, but yeah, I think that was it in terms of, of, uh, DC announcements. Marvel announcements were, um, really that Miss America thing really just passed me by. So yeah, Miss America, uh, what were the other Marvel announcements? There was uh, uh, Rich Rider is Nova again. Mm. Was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say there there is one that I can't remember what it is. Yeah, I can't remember what it is. Hmm. Car Music's going back to Thunderbolts for the 20th anniversary issue. Oh, just for the uh, one issue then? Yeah, with with Mark Bagley, they're they're doing one a new story. Huh. And bringing back. Bolt, Jolt, whatever the character's name is, hmm. like the 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 young kid from the the their run, mm-hmm. they're bringing her back for that one issue. 
Hmm. There, there, like there actually is a Marvel announcement, and I can't think about it for the life of me. I don't, I don't think there were any image announcements. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't. I feel like there. I don't feel like there was either. But mm, I, I mean, I'm not. I got to admit, I've had this weird situation where there's something really wrong with my web browser at work. Uh, it basically bombs out. I honestly thought it was the website. I honestly thought Bleeding Cool had some sort of bullshit ad thing that was just crashing my browser. But I've had... Well, no, 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 no. That That's Bleeding Cool, because Bleeding Cool crashes my... um my When I look at it on my phone, Bleeding Cool crashes my, my browser. Okay, maybe just crashes. My thing is, the thing is, is I've seen it, it might be infectious, because after that, I swear to God, I've had my browser crash on opening Gmail. I've had my browser crash at work. I, opening, yeah. you know. Do you have a virus? Is the, the immediate question. Yeah, I don't think so, but it... Are it, you sure? Right. I suppose, you know what, I suppose I probably should check, because I... I we have a wide range of IT guys, and uh, I got the IT guy who literally is like the laziest human being alive. <laughs> and, he, and so I called him. He's like, oh, yeah, no, that's just a thing where the site, it, you know, the Google Chrome, it tries to load the page, but it can't access the page, and it takes too long. You just you just got to hit the reload button. I'm like, no, I hit the reload button. Yeah, what happened? Well, then it crashes again, and then it just says send feedback. He's like, yeah, so what you need to do so is just, just send the to, feedback. Just close. Right, exactly. In the feedback, just say that you're unhappy with the browser's performance. I'm like, ugh, I'm unhappy with your performance, laziest human being in the world. So it was... To be fair, when his parents called him laziest human being in the world, Jeff, that, that was kind of a problem. It's true. It kind of boxes you in. You're kind of like, okay, I either try and go over, go beyond this... But that's too hard, so, you know. Might as well, well, if you are the laziest human being in the world, why would you try and go beyond it? Well, see, that's it. He clearly went with plan B, which was take a nap, <laughs> relax and embrace <laughs> it, <laughs> and float downstream. Anyway, so, uh, uh, oh, where was I? Oh, bleeding cool. So, as a result, I feel kind of, I've gotten, because I'm spending more time at work and with less time to actually access comic news sites like i'm reading i'm reading the beat i love the beat for analysis but reading the beat for news is like um at least bleeding cool i mean i know i should read like i don't know comic book resources or whatever fuck those people but i just you know i just can't so so it's like unless there's something in the outhousers that comes up in my timeline uh on twitter i'm kind of like i don't know I don't know what's going on. I'm like, Miss America book? News to me. You know, FF are coming back and they're all blind? News to me. You know, so I made that last one up in case anyone was worried. I don't I, w- I actually was. I was like, wait, they announced FF are coming back? The Blindtastic Four. It sounds awesome to me, but I don't know. Maybe that's just, maybe it's not for everyone. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, Graham. I, I'm like, yeah, the only news that I know is like depressing comics professional news. You know, oh, what, which what? Which is what? Uh, the news essentially that Paul Pope was like a drunken uh, serial harasser kind of thing. Oh, I, did. I didn't hear that. Oh, you didn't? The guy who ran like Pope, the Paul Pope fan site, 
Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Destroy Comics. Yeah. Destroy Wait, comics. that is why that is why they fell out because I knew they fell out. I just didn't know why. Yeah, he was like, "Well, I know you're taking me weird." Blah blah blah. He posted a huge thing on either the site, I but I ended up seeing it like bounced around a lot on Tumblr. Yeah, he totally was like, "I've I I spent all my time like actually sticking up for you, and I'm totally ashamed and embarrassed because I've had people come up to me." And he apparently had some situation where it was like. I want to say his brother and his brother's girlfriend and his girlfriend's sister met Paul Pope and he basically got stupid drunk. And then, you know, when they, they had to like carry half carry him back to his place, he totally ended up like, like drunkenly, like shoving the sister against a wall and starting to kiss her. And then she, you know, pushed him away and he like slammed the door in their faces. And there's, and this guy was like, and I've heard all these stories about how terrible you can be to your fans and how you're just a big drunken mess that treats people horribly. And I can't support it anymore. So I'm shutting down the site. And, uh, and I felt like there was a lot in my timeline of people being like, Oh, holy shit. But this, I, it makes sense that you would miss this. I think because I want to say it was literally like the first that Wednesday when you were in the air, or maybe the day after of New York Comic yeah. Con. So um, it it was kind of it was it was well, there, and then it's kind of shit, shit. isn't it? I was like, ah, ooh, damn it, you know. So, but uh, but there you go. <laughs> Tis the season. Uh, and then I feel like there's some other little bit of comic book news, nerd news, but maybe we should just talk about comics. Let me ask you this, Graham, uh, this big, uh, Spider-Man event that finally has the, the first issue came out, right? Did you get a read yes. it, see it? What is it? Uh, I did not. Oh, interesting. Okay. I did not get to read it. Uh, I, I, that, that is not, that is entirely my fault. And, mm-hmm. and no one else's, I should say that. It's not like Marvel were like, you can't read it. It's that I was like, I have so much to do. <laughs> um, it's literally like, it's, it's, uh, both luck and the fact that I love Squirrel Girl so much that led me to see Squirrel Girl before it was, uh, the interview because right. I theoretically didn't have time to do that either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I, talking to Dan Slott, and Dan Slott is, let's be honest, always excited about what he does. That's actually one of a, a weirdly charming thing about Dan Slott. Mm-hmm. But um, he he did seem very into the possibilities of of conspiracy and talking about it as if like here's why it's different. Mm-hmm. You know, here here's here is the selling the unique selling point. So, I don't know. We'll see mm-hmm. what it's like. I guess. Wow. You know, hmm. you and me have the have the same. Not my Spider Man. So. Right. <laughs> Hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it really is a. I I don't know. What's what was really interesting talking to to Dan was. He he knows like he's aware of our complaints. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, oh, we had yeah. a conversation before we had the conversation. Mm-hmm. That was essentially me being like, yeah, like, Spider, you know, Spider-Man is power and responsibility, and Spider-Man is, like, the losers, the schlub. Mm-hmm. And he's not, and you've turned him into Tony Stark. And he's like, I've not turned him into Tony Stark, though. Like, I've turned him into someone who wants to be Tony Stark, but will essentially fuck himself over, because that's who Peter Parker is. Mm-hmm. Peter Parker is the guy who is completely self-sabotaging. 
he's like, all you have to do is, is wait. He, he, he was, his response <laughs> was basically, you have to wait until he self-sabotages. You have to wait for the payoff. Yeah. But, but I've not actually, like, I'm aware of what people are saying, and I've not actually turned him into Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about this, and I, and I think I've said, like, my whole thing is, is that it's the, the, when we're like, answering questions i think and talking about what the what our platonic ideal of spider-man is and i'm i'm a, i'm kind of a big fan of the of the dynamic of you know the inverse proportional dynamic you know it's like if peter parker's life is going great then spider-man's got to be hunted by the cops you know mm-hmm. if spider-man's being toasted as the hero of new york city it's when he's just about aunt may's just about on the edge of losing the house and peter parker's like completely broken up with his girlfriend, you know, and it's just, and, and one of the things that struck me of the stuff that I've read from slot is in this, in this current incarnation, I'm sure it'll change up is, is that Peter Parker's a huge success who's struggling to hold things together, but Spider-Man is really nobody, you know, and that, that strikes me as uh, more of a sort of betrayal of betrayal is a ridiculous overstatement. It's, 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 that is where the hashtag not my Spider-Man really comes in at a big level is, is I'm just like, I know what he's saying, but part of me is like, eh, uh, eh, you well, know, it, it was, but it was very, uh, I, I was going to say it's very interesting because I, but then I was like, that kind of sounds patronizing. I guess I was surprised that he was as aware of the criticisms. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, are you that surprised? Slot's a notorious, like, he, he, like, he, like, searches okay. on his own name on Twitter and barges into okay. conversations. I, I guess, I guess what I mean is this. I'm surprised that he is aware of the criticisms and isn't just like, no! Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That his, his response is like, that's, is ironically, not my Spider-Man. Right. His response is, no, Spider-Man is the guy who shoots himself in the foot. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, so it's, so if viewed from his point of view, then Spider-Man still works. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that, no, no, I no, no, no. I do see it. Yeah, and I get it. I get it. And the great thing that is kind of that I feel really did sort of come out of this discussion of who Spider-Man is, is, is that everyone has such a specific take about it that may not even really, like as you put it, may not even really exist in the way that people think of Spider-Man as existing. You know, like yeah. there's a whole definition of Spider-Man uh, that, you know, shaped by movies and cartoons or whatever, where people have a very definitive take that is very different from where you and I jumped on, which is very different from where people who are reading with Lee Ditko jumped on, which is very, very different from, I don't know, when someone started reading when JMS was on there or, you well, know, in the depths of the clone saga. So. And I, I've been finding this a lot recently with uh, about X-Men. Mm-hmm. People who started reading X Men after I stopped mm-hmm. have an entirely different idea of what X Men is. Oh yeah, like yeah. in amazingly so, yeah. and not just in terms of like, well, Bishop's obviously an X Man. You know, Gambit's one of the core, which you know to me is is ridiculous because Gambit pretty much came on after I stopped. Right. But they have a very different idea about what X Men actually is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, for them, X Men automatically includes the other books. Yeah. And other teams. That's just part of the franchise for them. Mm-hmm. And the franchise is what X-Men is. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it's like, well, no, 
X-Men get you know, like X-Men got ridiculous when you started adding X-Factor and X-Force and you know whatever. Extreme right, which X-Men. is pretty much right where I mean cuz I left right before all of the largest I I left before Liefeld and Lee and therefore the largest most the high watermark for X-Men still for a lot of people, you know, at least in terms of like oh this is the definition that you everyone more or less kind of starts with and then goes from. And there's very few of the super old farts and who wants to listen to us anyway, who are like, uh, actually, again, the guy who bought my comics, I, I had like this kind of shameful confession of like, I like that. Cause he was looking at my uncanny X-Men and being like, why is there this lag here? You know, like he was talking about, like, he couldn't believe that I didn't have like the first appearance of Electra considering I had, like say the first appearance of Bullseye and Daredevil, that that my collection went up to like one fifty five or one fifty six, and then stopped and picked right back up around like I don't know one seventy or one seventy two, and he was like, oh, so clearly someone took your first appearance of Electra, and I'm like, no, I jumped off the book because I didn't like Miller's art, and he was like, me too, and then we were talking about that, uh, and I was like, it was, I said, I'm just that way, like I was reading Uncanny X Men, and I jumped off around 125 because I was getting really bored. And he's like, yeah, and the tone kind of changed, and I'm like, and I really loved Cockrum stuff more than Burn. He's like, I did too. And then when he came back, it just wasn't as good. And so it was great having someone to actually sort of, which is, I say, I agree great. Yeah, I, not even agree. It's so funny. It was like, oh, Graham, I finally found someone that I could talk about comics with for hours at a time, who's read the same stuff that I did, and had, you know what I mean? Like, like we haven't been doing that exact thing for like six years now. I'm like, ah, I found a buddy I could talk comic books with. Graham is so amazing. But yeah, you're right. It's probably the fact that you and I have just such utterly divergent opinions i don't but know it's but it's it's really funny like it's it's funny to me uh and this is uh who was it it was someone on twitter it was it was brett white on twitter who was talking about like you know his quintessential x-men and what x-men is to him and it just made me think like almost everything you're saying i violently disagree with yeah, yeah, right. Because, because he started reading like ten years after me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it's just it's funny because for me at least I think of the the superhero comics up until I don't know like the the mid to late nineties mm-hmm. as being things that didn't really evolve. Do you know what I mean? Like Thor looked the same. It, it's surprising. Surprising to me now that none of the Marvel superheroes are wearing their original costumes. Mm-hmm. Like not one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's that's just what it is. And you'll never see the original Thor costume again. You'll never see the original Captain America costume again. Right. Unless in Flash, like it just won't happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas up until, I mean, when 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 did uh, two thousand six? I guess is when Brubaker killed off Captain America. Yeah. Like, Cap had one outfit. That's right. Well, yes and no. Well, but with, you like, know what I mean? Like, it was, yeah, variations. Outfit. Right. It, it was drawn differently, but it was the same outfit. You know? Yeah. It, it uh, was like, suddenly somebody but, made the chainmail heavier. You yes. Know, but, yeah, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I've always been like, yeah, the comics were essentially stayed. Like, they mm-hmm. do story tricks, but they'd revert to zero. 
Yeah. And then you see someone like uh, like Brett talking about his X Men, mm-hmm. and he did. He started like ninety three or something, mm-hmm. and it's totally different idea from X Men for me. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, oh no, that shit really did change. It really did evolve. I think I think X Men is one of the books that really did do that more than yeah. more than anything else. Like every everyone else tried bits and starts or reboots or whatever, but yeah, I mean. Even by the time, for someone like me who who started with Uncanny X Men, you know, who started with the the Claremont uh, Cockrum era, and then left shortly after two hundred, you know, the stuff that was being the the redesigns of the the like different team members, but even the same team members had changed their costumes like a couple of different times. You know, certainly by the time Romita Junior gets in there and is like, ah, people need. Different completely. People need pads. They need pads and they need like weirdo jersey jackets, you know, which is fine. I, I, I just, yeah, no, X-Men really did change it. And I think that is on the one hand, it's all to its success, but I think that I do sometimes wonder if part of the problem, quote unquote, problem with the X books, I mean, they sell okay. It is that it's really hard to, you can't really play a nostalgia act on them in a way, you know, or at least not yeah, easily. Because what what nostalgia do you play? Right. You can sort of do something like X Men '92, or I feel like that's where when people go for the nostalgia, they go for somewhere right around that era. But I'm shocked by, as you know, one of my favorite events out of the Secret Wars, the E for Extinction uh, miniseries, that is straight up this like. Um, nostalgia for the twi- for the two thousands yeah, for for the Morrison era, you know, nostalgia slash critique for the Morrison era, which I think was perfectly apt. Uh, you know, it is. I don't know. It, it's odd. I sometimes wonder. You know, again, people who have been listening to this thing have heard me trot out this thing. You you know, this old uh, what's the word? I was going to say rubric, which is not the word at all. But this this aphorism i suppose that the comics can only you can only get about 30 or 40 years out of them before especially with continuity before things just sort of start kind of collapsing in on themselves you know the structure is i think too big to kind of maintain and your choices at that point are either you know knock everything down and try again or just this sort of you have to really appreciate kind of playing in the rubble you know, of these sort of collapsed superstructures. And that's, I don't know, I kind of feel like that's where Marvel is, yes. Oh my, okay, so two things. One, I really, really, at some point, wanted to get to uh, what I bought at New York Comic Con. So remind oh, yeah. me about that in a Please. second. Yeah. But um, but because you said collapsed superstructures, reminds me, I know you're not a podcast listener, um, but people who are, Kieran Gillen's uh, decompressed has come back, and it's a different format, which is literally just Kieran Gillen talks to dudes for a while about making comics. Mm-hmm. They're no longer picking apart specific issues. They're no longer, you know, very focused discussions. It's literally a free form discussion. Okay. The most recent episode is him with Jonathan Hickman, hmm. and it's amazingly good. Hmm. The, fir- the first issue of the uh, first episode of the new run is Al Ewing, and it's also great. Right. But the Hickman one in particular, uh, Jeff, I think you'd get a lot out of it. Because it's really, it really is a discussion of writing and of Hickman's idea of his own shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Hickman being very honest about his experience working at Marvel. 
Oh wow! And it's it's great. Hmm. It's really, 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 really good. That does sound pretty amazing. I have to say. Uh, in in large part because he up front is like, yeah, I, I feel like I fucked up at least half of my Marvel time. Wow! Just because he's he's outright like he bluntly says. The uh, the the workloads was completely un- unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you just have to continually crank it out. Uh, I, yeah, it's, it's really, really, it's a really interesting discussion. Huh? That sounds amazing. I have to say, that does sound like something that I would love to listen to. Uh, okay, so the other thing is, I got, I didn't buy a lot mm-hmm. at New York Comic Con. Um, I got given. The first two volumes of the Printed Demon by Jason Shiga. Ooh, mm-hmm. jealous, Jeff? I am. Well, I am. Although I think I might have those first two issues. Uh, but or sorry, I guess I had them. The weird part is, I still have the all the. Versions. I had. Yeah, yeah. I bought the, the first. Fir- the first second. Are they out? Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. I misunderstood. I'm like, I thought you meant the. The, the we have the we have the minis we have the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. anyway so yes first the, second the, sorry the first second editions which go all the right. way through chapter twelve of the digital series oh man uh, and they're doing the third one they're they're going to put the whole thing in sprint yeah um uh but guess what I bought which one of which I've been looking for for about a year now one of which I've always kind of wanted and genuinely wanted for about twenty years. Uh, but I found them both in a back issue bin. Whoa. And for cheap. And I was like, oh shit. Walt Simonson's The Star Slammers graphic novel. That's so funny. And Bill Mantlow and uh, Jackson Geis's Swords of the Swashbucklers, aka their space pirate comic that they did after Micronauts. Holy shit. I vaguely remember that. Was that an epic? comic or a book? It or... was, but it started off with a graphic novel. I got the Marvel graphic novel editions of both of them. Wow. Wow. Holy For smokes. like $5. Wow. Five bucks for both. That's blessed. Bless it. That's amazing. Uh, huh. so, so two things. Mm-hmm. One, they're both great. And Star Slammers in particular is just amazing. Hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's Simonson just before he does Thor. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it could be like the last thing he did before Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just great. It's it's totally Simonson doing something that reads like heavy metal meets 2080. You know, amazing. Uh-huh. So therefore, it's great, and it's you know prime 80s Simonson. Mm-hmm. Looks really good as well. Also, bizarrely colored by Louise Simonson. Huh. Right. Um, that's not. Or, I want to say that's. Did she have coloring credits as Louise Jones before she I, became? Uh, or am I just confused on that? Anyway, yeah. Keep, I'm sorry. You were saying. Uh, Stars of uh, Swashbucklers is so great. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, bless him, Mantlo was simultaneously great and terrible. Mm. And, and that's what this comic is. Mm-hmm. It's literally Mantlo going, I want to do this original story and it's going to be great, but I'm going to write it in sub Claremont. Yeah. And so there's a, uh, on two consecutive pages, there's a part where he makes a, a his narrator is like the omniscient narrator, and ma- makes the st- first half of a sentence in one panel, and then the second half is on the next uh, panel, or in one case on the next page. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, the second half is the phrase "to the stars," <laughs> <laughs> and they're consecutive. 
It's That's so great. Amazing. It's it, like it really reads like sh- terrible shtick, but wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That that would be really interesting to me to see. Again, I, I, yeah, there was there was a twelve issue epic run afterwards, and I looked online as soon as I finished the graphic novel. I was like, I've got to fucking get these comics, <laughs> and I think I can get them for like a dollar each somewhere. So I, I, I think I'm gonna have to. You can probably get them for a dollar each at that store down the street. Pretty much. No, so. they've, uh, Jeff, they've changed, didn't I tell you? Oh no. Yeah, their their uh, cheap back issues are are almost gone now. Real, as in they sold them off, or they marked them up. I think you told me they, that the prices were marked, crazy. They marked yeah. a lot up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They marked a lot up, and their their like cheap back issue selection is tiny now. Yeah, you you kind of said that that one because you went back and priced some of those issues out that I picked up for the cheap for yeah, cheap, and you, you were like. Yeah, that's what you said. I was like, ooh. I, listeners, guy. I'm not sure if I ever said this on the podcast. I think I just said it at all, when we weren't recording. You might remember when Jeff was in uh, Portland, not the last time, but the time before this, we went to a store called Cloud9 Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jeff got a shit ton of Captain Marvels. Yeah. Uh, like the, the Englehart Starling Captain Marvels mm-hmm. um, for a dollar a piece. Mm-hmm. And I went back to the store afterwards and looked at it, and they've got the same issues, but each issue is like eight to thirteen dollars each. <sighs> the, like you get a killing, Jeff. Are you sure those aren't just the Starlin issues, or cause... no, no, oh, no. yeah, yeah. Actually, between those and when I was getting the Frank Bruner uh, Doctor Strange issues, I was like, oh, these are so good. But the guy, I'm really worried because the guy was like, I'm like, are you sure? He's like, oh yeah, no, it's fine. So and so, the I, owner I, of the store won't mind, and I'm like, yeah, oh god. I bamboozled him into it. Oh, that poor guy. Shit. Well, anyway, yeah. <laughs> and now they are somewhere else. Such is the nature of comics. They come, they go. It's kind of like the coin speech in uh, No Country for Old Men, except nobody dies. So, okay, so getting back to giving away your comics for a second, or selling your comics, because you didn't give them away. That's true. Do you think it's going to change how you read comics now? Uh, I don't, I don't know. How do you, what do you mean? Why would you, I don't. Uh, Because I presume you're going to be buying less print comics. Yeah, I think I'm going to be buying more digital and or trades, uh, which is what I was moving toward anyway. And I think, as I told you, one of the things that sort of made this easier was I had gotten to the point where I had, the long boxes, like you and I would be talking, the long boxes were like less than 200 feet away, just like two rooms away, all stacked up, every comic that I owned. And I still wouldn't like go and like, oh, all I have to do is move these five long boxes and I can pull out the original issue in question. I just wasn't doing that at all. So so in in that case, would you then buy it digitally? Like I, say you wanted to read something that you knew you owned. I was doing that anyway. Remember, you were kind of teasing me about that. No, no, yeah. no, but, uh, but but it like it's not even for sale. I guess is what I'm saying. Like, imagine a scenario where you really want to read a particular back issue of Doctor Strange, right? And you know you have this issue. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's it. Now I don't. Right now, I've got no, a better no, excuse. No, than no, no. But imagine you like back then. Imagine you did. Oh, okay. Right. Uh huh. Right. Um, would you? Can you, would it have been a scenario where you would have, um, you would have rather gone on Comixology and bought the same issue for three ninety nine mm. than have gone to dug it, dig it out? 
Yeah, it, I was in a I was in a real weird zone there. It's kind of interesting because up until this year, it would have been like the answer would have been like I wouldn't have done either. You know, I I like maybe would have gone. I would have gone to the back issue bins. Let's put it that way. I would have gone to my gone back there and dug for it if it was something that I really needed. Um, the amazing thing is because I'm a Marvel head, the number of times where you and I were reading stuff and then like, God, I don't even remember what it was. There was something that we were reading. Was it, I think when we were reading some Baxter building stuff and I jumped and read the tie in issues in like Hulk or something like that. Yeah. 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 There was, Cause it's crossover with Hulk and it's crossover with Avengers and it's crossover with something else. As well. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, Oh, these issues are in Marvel unlimited. And I just hopscotched and read, I, I took the time to read those. That's of course, kind of ideal, you know, and, uh, so the next stage was kind of before this year, I would have been conscientious enough about money that I would not have turned around and paid full price digitally for something mm-hmm. that I knew that I had a copy of this year, because I got, a you know, I've got new job duties, um, and, and a bump up on the salary. I'm a, I knew I was getting much more likely of to pay full price rather than just try and move like 10 tons of long boxes. Now, of course the long boxes are gone. It's kind of like, Oh, I have perfect. In fact, I was, you know, I, I was kind of thinking about joking about how, you know, talking about telling the whole story of the comics, you know, and, and even saying like, yeah, and I sold them for 2,900. It was amazing. And I still have $400 left after my comiXology <laughs> buying spree. But, but that's not true. But I did, but in my head, there's that way where my brain is like, well, you know, you did sell them. You do have that money. You can totally pay full price for something if you see it and you like it. I mean, I'm kind of in that weird zone that we talked about just a few weeks ago where it's really apparent that what I buy in a BOGO, Marvel BOGO is going to end up on unlimited within a year or so. And it seems as if Unlimited is getting, you know, there's so much more synergy between what they're, uh, what they're, the stuff that they're going to be pushing in the media and what they're going to have available. So it's very much like, you know, knowing that Luke Cage was coming out, knowing that Iron Fist was coming out, that the safe bet would be just wait long enough and that stuff's going to hit Marvel Unlimited. Which part of me was like, oh, that's fine. But what's shocking to me is is that, and it's going to actually be available on Comixology, you know, for a stupid cheap price. Like, it's kind of, part of me is like, ah, I'm really glad that Marvel TV is successful because I'll be curious to see what's going on. But as many people, I don't know, if you, people, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure follow Marvel Unlimited. I was goddamn stunned when, like, the Rich Buckler Deathlocks hit there recently. I mean, I've had I, those I, comics. All of the Deathlocks. Yeah. Like, have you seen that? They've added, like, more Deathlocks. Yeah, they there. have. That's right. They've added the Dwayne McDuffie stuff. And... I'm actually kind of wondering for a while because they were pushing the Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider on Shield so much. It seemed like 
Well, uh, Deathlock, Deathlock was in the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, or second season or something like that. So, yeah, I don't know if they're trying I know, to I'd, grow I'd the I'd stopped watching. Maybe it was in the second season as well. It was definitely in the first because I'd stopped watching by the second. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe they did bring him around. Maybe it was by the first, but I was like, yeah, forget it. I'm not, I'm not going. I'm not going down that road. You can't win me over Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I have no faith in you. Uh, I actually tried to watch. I, I emphasize on the tried to watch the first episode of the new season. <laughs> I was leaving it to like 20 minutes and I was like, this is terrible. Like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Graham. So listen, here's the thing. We've been talking for close to two hours. Uh, should we talk about, I, I, the, here's the other thing that I should mention that is actually really embarrassing. And is probably another component is part of me was like, oh boy, we're going to have this, you know, break of like practically three weeks and we're going to have all these comics to talk about. I actually read not that many comics. I was going to spend figuring like, boy, well, it's, you know, hopefully listeners like our tangents because I'm going to be spending a lot of time talking about Stardew Valley, uh, <laughs> which I do adore. But, I, you know, do do you have some do you have some like highlight comics that you want to talk about over the last couple of weeks or no? Stars and Swashbucklers, I genuinely would recommend people hunt down. Yeah. Uh, because for all that I was giving shit, it's it's kind of weirdly charming. Mm-hmm. And I love I love that there is this whole era of creator-owned work from people I consider big names that I just am not aware of. Do you know what right. I mean? Like Finding This and Coyote last year and, and uh, Star Slammers, it's kind of great. It's like, oh, it's a hidden treasure. You know – at the risk of running you, running us right off the ground as soon as I bring it up, maybe this is a discussion that's better suited for another time, but isn't it kind of weird if you think about the number of guys who worked at Marvel, went to Image, announced their creator-owned books, had people being like, Okay, buying twenty to forty thousand copies of those, buying in some cases fifty thousand copies of the first issue, giving those creators enough money to basically continue with their runs. Uh and you contrast that to the eighties where you had Marvel's biggest talents turn around and put out graphic novels and continuing series. Like people who were big names back then, and most of those books don't even really make it a year, I don't think. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. It's, it's when you consider that there really was a period uh, in the mid '80s where, especially Epic, was mm-hmm. doing creator-owned work yeah. and like fully creator-owned work, mm-hmm. and people just don't even remember that now. Yeah, yeah, people don't. Well, people don't, but also at the part of that is because at the time people weren't reading. Yeah. yeah, people – and that's why I find fascinating is is that I do think that despite, you know, uh, uh, for me who's like an old fart, I think it's really worth remembering and talking about is I think people's tastes have gotten a little bit better. I Admittedly, I was just a 16 or 17-year-old kid, maybe 19 when Star Slimers came out, and I was like – I mean, admittedly, maybe Simonson wasn't really to my taste, but like, you know, Mantlo and Jackson Guise, God, I had their fucking Micronauts issues. I probably picked up and flipped through an issue of Swords of Swashbuckler, and I was like, I'm not really into it. I was really not into a lot of the stuff that now I'm like, oh shit, why didn't that have a go at it? But the fact was, back then, for someone like me, who super grew up on like 2000 AD, like almost no exposure to 
you know, the reprints didn't even start hitting for Judge Dredd until I was in my late teens. Uh, I, I, I really remember picking some of this stuff up and being like, I guess I just like the superhero work more. It took a, it took yeah. a long time to break that stranglehold, yeah, not just for me, really but for a generation. You know? Well, part of me was also thinking, when you think about image launching, mm-hmm. right, they all did superhero work. Yeah. You know, say what you like about Mantlo or Simonson or Starlin or whatever. They all went outside the superhero genre. Oh, you're talking about the beginning of image. You're talking yeah. about the beginning of image, image. Right. I'm thinking more along the stuff of the recent, the recent group of Oh, people. no, 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 no. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I agree. I, yeah. I, I'm the one who took the detour. I knew oh, okay. All right. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page there, but that's uh, a good point. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, I wonder if, I wonder if that was an important stepping stone. Mm-hmm. That, that Lee and Liefeld and, and McFarlane and the rest of them made the jump to creator owned, but did so in the most recognizable form. Mm-hmm. And so could take, could sort of like educate an audience. And I'm wondering if for the eighties, when you have Simonson and Mantlo and, and Starlin and Engelhart and Gerber doing creator owned work, even at Marvel, mm-hmm. the fact that it was so outside the comfort zone of the readers. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're fan baits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder how important that is, and how much that screwed them up. Yeah, I I think it is. I think it's. I think, I think it there. I think there might be something to that. I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that there is a there's a very knowledgeable audience now that has grown up with a wide variety of influences and can appreciate a wide variety of things. I mean, you know, when Frank Miller started doing, uh, Ronin. For example, there was only kind of a handful of people who I, I feel in, in the U.S. who had seen the Lone Wolf and Cub stuff that he was referencing. You know, when those issues started hitting from first comics, they had Frank Miller covers on them as selling points. You know, and so I think you're right. There were there were you know some various dudes who I'm sure had read uh, 2000 AD or had read you know a lot of heavy metal, but like you know the idea that no one really kind of had that like Simonson being a guy who's like, yeah, I really want to try and dig into these Bilal influences or wherever else he was going to run, you know, was kind of was way more outside of the box than, than a lot of us uh, were capable of maybe because it's amazing to me that stuff it's weird that that shit wasn't huge. And as you point out, the difference was in the nineties. It really does. They, the, when those guys left, you're right. They, one of the things is Robert Liefeld was like, I'm not doing, you know, pockets PI I'm doing, you know, fucking young blood. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh, something else I read that, uh, I, I obliquely mentioned earlier on. I read the new issue of Scooby-Doo team up, which is great. Oh yeah. Who's in it? I haven't read it yet. It's, it's Hawkman and Hawk girl. Oh yeah, I think I've seen that. Ooh. And it's just it's it's just a continually yeah. cute series. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just it's just always fun. And it's it's kind of wonderful how Sholy Fish continually just gets to the heart of the character. Like I really everyone yeah. who's never read Hawkman before yeah. will come away from this going, it's kind of an uptight dick, but he mm-hmm. really means well. Yeah. No, he's Fish is great. It would be wonderful. There is that way of like, ah, the fact that Fish isn't like 
paired with like the next Alex Ross or whatever to do kind of like a DC universe book. That's like each issue is like a done in one about a different hero. Cause the shit that he does, I mean, admittedly half of it is how good he is at finding some angle of the Scooby gang to hook up with yeah. the, with the guest stars is yeah. always like just downright admirable. It's uh yeah. it's, it's good I, stuff. In particular, there's a running joke in this issue that um, Fred is really pissed off because he can't unmask any of the villains. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's like genuinely upset, which I love. Um, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure this came out after the last time we did a wait. What? Uh, Flintstones continues to be amazing. Shit, I was afraid you would. We're going to mention that because I remember uh, one of our. You still have. I still haven't. I still haven't. I, I've been busy. I swear the, to God. By the, the next issue, time we do a Wait What the, podcast, the new I will be issue has um, it's all about gay marriage. Yeah. But instead, it's about marriage because they're cavemen, mm-hmm. so they're just used to fucking. Right. So the whole concept of monogamy is what's going to destroy society. Um, and there's cool. a great like there's just it, it's the dumbest funniest joke. But yes. there's a gay couple called Adam and Steve. Yeah, which I, I do love that. Who come out of a club called Homo Erectus. <laughs> <laughs> which, again, really a dumb joke, but I just love that it's there. And it's not like they don't lean into the joke at all. Like, mm-hmm. literally, the joke's there, and if you see it, you see it, and if you don't, you don't. Right. And they just move on. But it's just, it's very funny to see, you know, the whole... It's very funny to see the... Outrage against gay marriage played up as against straight marriage. Yeah. yeah Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, yeah, that it's is just genuinely, it's, genuinely very smart. Yeah. Uh, it's, so it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's just a very funny, smart series. Also, I love that apparently their Carl Sagan stand in is going to be a recurring character. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he, he comes back in this issue to make, I think he, I can't remember what he does. I think he might be making the scientific case against marriage. But, um, but yeah, I just I just love that they have a, a Carl Sagan joke. Um, yeah, it's just it's a very funny book and it's a very smart book, which mm-hmm. I, I genuinely love. Um, otherwise, like I'm I'm fairly far behind because with with the in Lesson Town and then the the travel, I I'm fairly far behind in reading as well. Mm-hmm. I have a a, a a disturbing stack of rebirth stuff to go through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. We'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I read a few things, but I think I'll save it to next time because because we're we're right on the verge. I think, Graham. Yeah. Well, okay. I th- should we wrap it up? I think we should. It's been two hours. Okay. It's been relatively jaunty. There's been only slight meditations on mortality. So I, I, I you know, slightish. I mean, <laughs> I want to say like a first hour was kind of a meditation on mortality in a way. This lips judgment. Has been your latest episode of Wait What? Um, we are going to be back in a week with the Baxter Building. That's right. Aren't we, Jeff? Yes, we are, Graham. In the meantime, you can find us all over the fucking internet. We have a website, waitwhatpodcast.com, where you'll find show notes for this episode and every other episode. And if I ever, ever get a chance, you'll find some writing from me. And if Jeff ever, ever gets a chance, but I suspect he might not for a few weeks for reasons that you'll find out 
Oh yes. Um, <laughs> then you'll find writing from him. You'll definitely find writing from Matt Terrell though, because he's on there talking about Snot Girl and various other things right now. Yes. And uh, next time we'll have to talk about that and Snot Girl. I would love to do that. Yes. Uh, anyway. That's weightwattpodcast.com. There's also weightwattpods.tumblr.com. I have been horrifically lax in updating it this week, but the short version is I was exhausted after New York Comic Con. I'm very sorry. I'll be updating it again soon. I will try and win back your love. Please don't hate me. Yeah. Pods.tumblr.com. There is the Twitter, at weightwattpodcast. Jeff is on Twitter, solo, alone, at lazybassett, at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. Go on right now and wish him an early happy birthday because it's very soon. Uh, at Graham M. At G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Uh, Matt is on Twitter, I should say, at Matt Terrell. At M-A-T-T underscore T-E-R-L. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, no, wait. Jeff, do you yes. know that we're a supported podcast? Why, Graham, I believe that I do. Yeah, I... In fact, I'm incredibly grateful to uh, everyone uh, who supports us on Patreon. Thanks to our patrons, we are able to turn these out at a good clip, surprise absences notwithstanding. And in fact, the Baxter building is very much um, due to the generosity of people on Patreon. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out that we are indebted greatly to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as the awe-inspiring Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, We're grateful for their continuing support of the podcast, and in Empress Audrey's case, her willingness to let the galaxy survive unabated. It's, it's every day I give grateful thanks. Who doesn't? Right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, that's, that's your lot, people. Yeah, there you go. We are very sorry for being off for two weeks, but basically, I was far too busy to do it. <laughs> you really that's were really busy. Short yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry that. yeah. I, at one point, uh, before I went to New York, I thought, well, because of the time difference, maybe I could wrap things up at New York and still be available to do a uh, podcast recording on the same Jesus, time. man. That, that would be amazing. Work. That Oof. would be Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That no, you were making noises. I'm like, let's let's not. I apologize to everyone for our uh, absence. Hopefully you will be happy that we're back and haven't forgotten all about it and it's gone from wait what to wait who? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, Jeff. It's I, a terrible joke, but I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, do you want to sing us out? I will. People, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back with Bax Bills next week. And until then, bye! Beautiful. That is a beautiful Hey! Lady. Yeah.